0: But I rang up and I said, look, this is really embarrassing. I'm a judge and I'm pregnant. And they said, oh, judge, that's fantastic. And I know there's a maternity policy, this lady said, because I wrote it, but no one's ever used it. Let me go and blow the dust off it. I don't think you can know what sort of mum you want, you're going to be until your baby arrives. I think I thought I was going to be a off you go, back to work, find a nanny, and goodbye. Earlier this year, there were more, you had more chance of being in the Supreme Court if you were called David than if you were a woman. Um, there were three Davids, I think, and one woman.
1: Welcome. Our guest on this episode is a personal connection of mine. She is my husband's aunt, her honour judge, Alison Rayside. I know she will loathe me listing her career achievements, but I plan to do so nonetheless. After attending the University of Manchester, where she read law, Alison was called to the bar and practiced in chambers in London on large short cases under both Lord Jackson and Lord Toulson. In 1995, she started sitting as a deputy district judge, becoming a full-time district judge in 2000. Then in 2011, she became a circuit judge specializing in family law. She is now the designated family judge for Surrey. During this time, she was married And had four children and I believe was the first sitting judge in the UK to take maternity leave. Alison, thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to hear more about your career, perhaps just to kick things off. With a father, husband, brother and three children so far in the law, this really is a family vocation. Did you always know that this career was on the cards for you? It's great to be here. Thank you very much. I was fairly sure from an early age I wanted
0: to be a lawyer. Um, my lovely dad gave me his mother's family Bible, which went back to 1670 something, and they were all blinking lawyers. Um, we're, we're hopeless. We can't do science. We can't do maths. We're not linguists, but we can talk um, and argue. We can argue and argue until the cows come home. And so um, it's just got a sort of fairly obvious career. Uh, and my dad was a great inspiration to me, and so law was, was fairly obvious, but I did not want to do family law, because that's what he did, and I thought that was absolutely grim, and
1: here I am. <laughs> and is that why you went a different route when you first started out in your career?
0: Yes, well I was very lucky, and I had my pupilage. you mentioned um, Lord Toulson, um, who was completely inspirational and uh, my second pupil master was John Powell uh, and th- and the chambers where I'd had an introduction which was through um, a professor at university did heavy professional negligence work and civil work and uh, that sort of that so that's what I started doing it wasn't as I fell into it it's all a mistake my whole career has been just I've just fallen into it nothing has been planned.
1: When you were doing your pupillage and then at the bar in london um sort of early stage of a career did you have family in mind did you were you thinking about that already or you were just full on with the career no at, oh what
0: you mean having my own family
1: yeah no i think i think there's nothing worse than
0: someone sort of desperately looking for marriage and kids i just wanted to have a career so um i just got stuck into uh, to to my to my career and threw myself into everything. It was very very hard work and very competitive, um, so not much time to think about other things. Gosh, I bet uh,
2: your career sounds amazing. I want to delve into it a bit more. So, um, you did you go to university, study law?
0: Yes, yes.
2: Went did did law at Manchester, and then came out of that and went straight into a pupilage. Is that right?
0: Yes. So I had a lovely professor at university, Norman Palmer, and he said what was I going to do and I said I'd really like to be a barrister and he said would you like an introduction uh and I said thanks very much uh, and he wrote to um Roger Toulson who I knew nothing about um and uh, ended up in doing a, a pupillage that Jackson and Powell if I don't know um anyone who does professional ignorance work had just been published uh, from those chambers I was so lucky I mean I just fell on my feet um and and, and I was I stayed there after I did my year's pupillage, so I was incredibly lucky. I wasn't the first woman but I was the I was the second woman in chambers um uh, and it was a very male oriented uh, atmosphere
2: in what way was it male orientators?
0: Yeah well they're all um uh, apart from this one woman. Um, whose career was slightly slightly sort of out of it they were all just chaps they were all public school boys and uh, you just sort of learnt that uh, you learnt the cricketing analogies for example Ooh, you know that was a that was a sticky wicket at close of play and or something something I've no idea I listened to the sports news because otherwise there wasn't a conversation I was sort of in my own way. I had to be quite, you had, I had to take them on. So the notice would go up on the board, you know, Chambers and their wives all all invited to whatever it was. And I just sort of crossed it out and said, partners, I think you'll find. Um, but it wasn't, I was so, I wasn't, I didn't get any sort of really horrible misogyny. Um, I was just very, very frequently the only woman in the room. And that was, that was just absolutely standard. There was apparently, it was a bit of a fuss because there wasn't a ladies' loo but they realized that just like at home, you can share lose. I mean, it's not the end of the world, is it? <laughs> Gosh, and so
2: with that in mind, that you were the second, only the second woman, which is incredible, um, it, did you, what were your thoughts on the future? Did you think, I'm gonna make it, I, I'm gonna show those men that I can do it? Or were you thinking, um, actually, I quite want a family. I'm not sure how this is gonna work for me. To have a family given you didn't have any role models to follow.
0: No I did I really didn't I just sort of got on I'd always wanted to to practice and I just got on and practiced so I didn't I felt my ch- chambers were really encouraging they were all lovely um, and luckily the work came the work came in um, and um, so I didn't I didn't feel I had a battle I had a battle but I mean certainly all women of my generation were, were very often at work, you know, the only woman in the room. That was sort of what we expected. But I was encu- hugely encouraged by my dad. I think men at home, uh, you know, I was hugely encouraged by my dad. Um, and then I'd met my now husband at bar school, and he was sort of always very encouraging. No one ever and I also I went to an all-girls school where the teachers had all were from the generation that if if you got married and had kids you had to leave um, and they were determined that the girls should do well they were absolutely determined that you could do anything and so I think if you just have surrounded if you're just surrounded by that you don't I mean it never occurred to me that I wouldn't I couldn't or wouldn't it just something I just got on and did I think the generation before me had it far worse I think we were the first generation where It was it was fine. Um, And I was lucky at university. I was taught by Brenda Hoggett, as she was then, Lady Hale, as she now is. uh, And she had been very instrumental at Manchester at getting equal number of men and women in as as undergraduates. So there were lots of women undergraduates at Manchester. So not not a huge battle. It was um, it was just get on with it.
2: You never felt any kind of gender issues at that point. You just thought, I can do this. Let's crack on.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think so. I think so. I don't. I maybe I'm maybe I'm just too thick and I didn't. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't feel it. I just I just got on and um, yeah. It was it's So I don't. I just clapped on. And at what age did you have your first child? So the 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 wisdom was that you should have your first baby at thirty, uh, and I had my first baby at thirty. Mark and I had a three year plan. But um, like true lawyers, we hadn't really got down to the nitty-gritty detail. He thought the three-year plan was we'd be married for three years and then discuss children. Um, I thought that the three-year plan was that I would tell him on our third anniversary that I was pregnant. And that's what happened.
2: (laughs) I really love this.
0: Very well planned.
2: Yeah, very well planned. (laughs) Whose wisdom was it that you had children at 30?
0: Well, it was just what doctors said. I don't know what they say now. I expect they'd say, I don't know. I think it's now maybe something like 35 or something, but it was, you were already an older mother at 30. And um, it was, that was just the wisdom. And I was incredibly lucky and and I only had to look at Mark and I got pregnant. So, um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And I never really thought, I never sort of thought beyond I just thought, OK, the time has come for kids. I think you get to that stage maybe in a relationship. You just think, you know, that's the next You're thing. And, and I want kids. I'm re- I was ready.
2: And your husband was also a barrister at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: how long did you have for maternity leave? Well, there was not maternity leave. Chambers, um, for those who aren't familiar with the way it works, barristers work in sets of chambers and you are all self-employed, but you club together as to sort of rent premises and you share facilities, including the clerks. Um, and there was no maternity policy. They now have to have maternity policies. Um, so I sort of made it up as I went along. And I went and told my head of chambers I was pregnant. And he said, that's very nice, dear. Um, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, but I'll go off and have the baby and let you know. And he said, fine. Um, and <laughs> that's what I did. Uh, and then and then I think I said to him, look, I'm going to come back part time. Is that all right? And he said, yeah, you know, talk to the clerks and and do and do whatever suits you. So it was we were all making up it up as we went along. So um,
2: in that sense, because you're self-employed, was it just the case that you didn't get paid for that period?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you only get paid. Absolutely. It's no maternity pay. I can't remember. If they said to me I didn't have to pay chambers of rent or anything while I was off, I honestly can't remember. But you you pay your clerk's fees based on what your earnings are. So, I mean, the clerks aren't terribly happy because you're not bringing in money. uh, And I wasn't bringing in money for myself either. And I was extremely fortunate because by that time, Mark had started earning enough for both of us. And we, well, you know, we sort of muddled through without my money. So um but but it wasn't it wasn't there wasn't a policy basically
2: okay and how long did you have off
0: so I think I was off for about four or five months I don't know about you two but I don't think you can know what sort of mum you want you're going to be until your baby arrives I think I thought I was going to be a off you go back to work find a nanny and goodbye and I just thought actually I don't want to be a full-time nanny type of mum and I think it's that's and I was lucky enough to have the choice, not to have to work full time. Um, but I thought, actually, I want to keep working, but I don't want to be away from from my baby, you know, all the time. So I found I'd met a lovely friend, a girl at NCT who was having her first baby. She was a health professional, and so I did a deal with her that she took James, I think it was three days a week or something, and I paid her. I'm sure it was all highly illegal. <laughs> uh, and I learned the first lesson, which is that commuting is a complete waste of time because you are not with your child and you're not at work. And um, I, we were living in the country and my chambers were in London and it was pretty good hell. sort of getting James up, taking him off to the childminder, dumping him there, rushing off to get a train, sitting on a train, getting to work. And they'd all say, oh, you're a bit late. It's nine o'clock. Uh, and I'd have left James at sort of half past seven, you know, and then the whole thing in reverse in the evening. So it wasn't great. Presumably, in those days, you didn't have like uh, iPhones,
2: um, con- you know, internet connection in order to be able no, to use that train journey no,
0: productively. No, no internet, no mobile phones. I mean, the children can't believe it when I tell them this. And and choosing to live in the country when we when I when we were working when I was working in London, not very bright, really. Um, so although you can read papers and things, it's not the same as now, and no home working either. I mean, I had a fax machine at home um but <laughs> but people didn't people didn't work at home. it just wasn't it just wasn't done. You were in chambers or you were in court. That was the way it, that's the way it worked. so
1: that was very difficult. I sort of can't imagine how a family could function in that, <laughs> in that situation you know we've we've only been parents in post covid times, so We've never experienced that every day on the on the train going in, rushing home. You know, we've we Joy and I have only ever really experienced working and parenting with some flexibility. So I don't yeah. really know how you did it, actually.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's ridiculous, really, isn't it? And I think COVID's taught us a lot of things, and a lot of things we you know, a lot of things have been great, and a lot have been terrible. But the one thing that is hugely important, I think, for anyone with any caring responsibility, is being able to work at home sometimes just makes an enormous difference and I I had a bit of a row with the last Lord Chief Justice um, who more or less said look you've all, all judges have got to hear all their hearings from court even if you're doing remote hearings you should be in court and I was saying well really um, actually that we do you know it suits it the, the difference for a lot of us is enormous having that flexibility so there's still a bit of a I think one gov- some government has said that they're going to bring in a right to work from home, but I don't know if that's occasionally, but I don't know if that's happened. I don't think that's happened yet. And I think the technology,
2: you know, having, having Wi-Fi and laptops and iPhones, etc. I mean, back, back in the day, I can see why it was the norm You had that you had to be in. You know, it wasn't a choice.
0: No. And if people phoned you if people wanted to talk to you in they'd phone chambers and chambers would put it through to your phone on your desk they couldn't put it through to your your mobile or your home phone if you if you, you weren't you weren't there so um uh, yeah very different very different days and it in terms of trying to work flexibly it just I mean, it just wasn't a thing
1: i found it really interesting what you said about um being you're not knowing exactly what kind of parent you're going to want to be until you're in the moment. I think that's really sound advice for people to listen to. To not think, "Oh, I know, I'll definitely want to go back after two months and get straight back to work, or I'll definitely want a whole year off." Because, as you say, you don't know. That's really no valuable. I mean, advice. If, if you've got, if you've got the choice, and I have been
0: very lucky that I've had choices. Um, if you've got, I, I think it's not until you're there and you feel. Well, it's not, it's not even, it's not about your bond with the baby either. It's what sort of person you are. I mean, it is, God, we all know, sometimes being with a toddler is so boring. It's so terribly boring. And it's the sort of secret no one, no one talks about is how dull it can be. But at the same time, it's really stressful, isn't it? To have to leave your baby every morning at eight o'clock and then come back at seven, eight o'clock or something. That is very stressful. And it makes a huge difference if you've got family or your partner who can, who can share it. And that sort of guilt is lessened in that regard. So you did three days a week working initially? Yeah. Uh, I learned lesson number two, lesson number one being don't commute because it's wasted time. Lesson number two is try and know in advance the days and times you're working. (laughs) Because one of my worst moments was arriving somewhere like Lincoln, I think it was. And I thought I was there for a two-day case and I'd made arrangements and all the other barristers said no it's down for the week and so I spent my whole time on the phone stressing and because neither my parents nor Mark's parents were around I mean they are they were alive but busy and had their own things going on so it was a case of a lot of phoning a friend and um, begging and and so forth so I think planning I think if you're going to work part-time just just being able to plan where and the the, the hours and then you can get the childcare, can't you it's the the bar is a very um it's very difficult like that especially if you're a fairly junior and you're going up and down the country to different courts and you just don't know um how long you know how long cases are going to last i mean i have to say I'm, i'm very sympathetic to barristers who appear in front of me um and we get to sort of half past four, which is the end of the court day. And if we want to finish, I always say to everyone, is everyone all right to carry on? Does anyone have any issues? And sometimes they just need a phone call. Sometimes people say, I'm really sorry, I can't carry on. And I'm I'm incredibly sympathetic to that because I've been the other end, so.
2: Yeah, that's amazing that you now have the opportunity to kind of support and help and understand. Yeah. Um, I think we need, we need more of that. <laughs>
0: Well, also, when I see, when somebody emails me and, you know, you see the email has come through with someone's um, legal document at sort of half past ten at night and you know they're in front of you the next morning, you sort of, I email back, say, go to bed, you know, what are you doing? You've got to, you know, you've got to sleep. A life of a lawyer. Yeah, life of a
1: lawyer, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and Alison did you find did you have different experiences with subsequent maternity leaves and returns or did you sort of follow a similar pattern
0: yeah so number two so when when Alec arrived
1: um I'm sure he won't mind me saying
0: this he was a he was quite a difficult baby and um I found the whole thing fell apart um, so the the nice friend who looked after number one she had her number two and that you know and then you start of course James was getting onto the play school and everything so you start getting those routines all having to be built in and I tried a sort of part-time nanny and Alec just screened the place down and everything and it was just so stressful. So I I left chambers at that point. So all about two years after, a year after Alec was born. So um I just I just couldn't manage it. It was the travelling, the childcare, blah blah blah. It was all just too much. So I I left chambers not really knowing what I was going to do.
2: It's really hard having two, isn't it? It's you know just that extra body, the extra pressure. The kind of lack of sleep,
0: yes. <laughs> yes, yes, and the juggling and and yeah, it's a it's a really it complete. You can make it one child fit fit into your life, but two, I just don't think you can.
2: Yeah, it's it's their world, isn't it? And we just live in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, how long did you have off
0: work? A couple of people were very kind to me and someone in Mark's chambers got me doing some really deadly um, sub-editing work of some law reports. And um, um, someone else, uh, in fact, the same professor from Manchester had had me doing a little bit of research and things. So I tried to work, but that was more from home, locking myself away and hearing the children screaming, which I'm sure is an experience you have. Um, and I used to try and do a couple of days a week. Um, and then that was when Alec and James were both sort of under five. And then I bumped into someone. Life is just peculiar. I bumped into this old friend who we'd had babies. You know, we'd we'd we been in the same group um, of, of toddlers and things. And I bumped into this chap in, in the town square in Petworth. And he said, oh, Alison, what are you doing at the moment? And I said, oh, not very much. And he said, oh, I thought you were sitting as a judge. And I said, no. And I thought, bloody hell, that's a good idea. So I went rushing home and I looked, Looked. I don't think we had the internet, so I couldn't look it up on the internet. I can't remember what I did. I must've looked in the phone book or something. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that would actually suit really well because being a part-time judge would be would be brilliant. So I had to write to a lady who was then based at the House of Lords, and I said, I'm I'm a barrister, query was I really, uh, and I'd like to become a deputy district judge. And in those days, deputy district judges was something, it was something that solicitors did. Barristers became part-time judges called recorders and solicitors became part-time judges called deputy district judges. And so I was sort of crossing the line a little bit. And to cut a long story short, she said, well, well, we're not sure about you, but you can go off and do a course. So I went off and did a course to learn to be a deputy district judge without actually being one. And I was, I think, the only woman, the only barrister, and by this time, seven months pregnant with number three. So I didn't stand out at all. I mean, I just blended in. (laughs) Just under the radar. (laughs) Completely under the radar. And they were quite miffed about a barrister muscling in and everything. And there were no... My God, there were no women judges at all. There were none. I didn't meet another female. I didn't meet a female judge for about another two years. It was absolutely extraordinary. So, um, yeah, so I, I and then they finally said, well, you've done the training. You might as well. You might as well become a deputy district judge. And that was absolutely brilliant because I was able to work locally. I was sitting in Surrey and Sussex and the court day is. A much more sort of defined thing than being in practice you you're it's sort of nine to five thirty in those days nine to five and as my lovely mum said Alison it's darling it, darling it's wonderful because they can't start without you because she knows I'm always late <laughs> so it's absolutely true and it's still true I'm always late and they can't start without me so uh, that suited me really well and when I started sitting I just found I just really enjoyed it. And that's when I started having to do family law as a deputy district judge. I had to do family law. I already knew the civil, but I had to start doing money on divorce, domestic abuse, um, Children Act stuff, um, you know, separated parents uh, arrangements for their children. And then eventually I got a ticket to do public law, which is care proceedings when children are taken into care. So I sort of built up the family work on the job. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, it was, it was great. Uh, and when the, when the children were all little, or the first three were all little, um, I was able to basically choose my days and I could choose to work two days a week in the school term time. So that was honestly ideal job. Didn't bring in a lot of money, but it sort of kept my hand in, which I think is the main thing. All you, all you can do when you've got very young children is sort of keep your hand in and hope for the best and hope no one yeah, spots especially Yeah, especially with three. Yeah. Exactly, real juggling, real juggling. What did you do in the school holidays? Well, don't um, really remember. I, I finally got a lovely part-time nanny. Um, I can sort of, it must be, must have been number three, must have been about three months because I have this incredible, vivid image of interviewing her, and B was in a high chair, so maybe I don't know what was she five, six months. And I could just see Beyond B out the window, and the two boys had got machetes, I think, or pickaxes or something, and they were trying to murder each other outside, and I was trying to interview this nanny. And I just said, excuse me a moment, I think I'm just going to have to go and break up that fight. And she didn't bat an eyelid, and she was married to a gamekeeper. She was an Australian married to a gamekeeper, so she just did blood and guts, and that was great. I think you need to also have a nanny who understands your household.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's great so and how, um, how did yeah. you did you then was it a kind of a conscious decision to then go for number four?
0: <laughs> oh, that was no, that was some years later. so then when when our young when number three was five. I got a full time appointment um, uh, as a district judge and they. But there was no thing then for part time working. You had to be 100 percent. That was just the way it was. And I said to them, well, why can't I have some extra time for the school holidays? And they said, because there isn't a system for that. Judges are appointed to do X number of days and that's the system. And I said, well, that's just completely ridiculous. Um, what and so they eventually when I said I wouldn't take the appointment unless they gave me some time off, they gave me four weeks extra unpaid leave every every year. But I was I think I was the first person to insist on that. And I mean that was honestly it was as if I'd asked to sit naked because it was really difficult. Um anyway, they eventually <laughs> said yes. So that's how I sort of wrangled the holidays. Uh, and judges luckily get quite good holidays anyway. So you add on four more weeks and it was fine. I sort of had the basic state school holidays covered, which was brilliant. And then I was a judge for about five or six years and Charlie arrived completely unexpectedly. I was about three weeks short of my 47th birthday. Just thought, this is odd. I feel so peculiar. Is this the early menopause? What on earth 47. Is going on? Yes goodness oh my I goodness
2: I don't know like even the thought of like going back to nappies at 40s is...
0: <laughs> well so you can imagine I had James who was James was 16 and he was so embarrassed he was just so embarrassed he said you are not allowed to get out of the school out of the car near my school so he was just and he was just discovering you know he was just James together with girls James is number one. Oh, number one, okay. So Jane number one at six number one at sixteen was just so embarrassed and just didn't want to be anywhere near his school. Alec at number two was just about to go off to boarding school. So he said, Look, I don't care as long as this baby isn't at school at the same time as me, he just showed how bad his maths was. And then lovely daughter, <laughs> number three, was really sweet and was thrilled. And when we told her, you know, when we told them, she said, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. How old was she? She was eleven. So she was absolutely great. And she was like, I mean, she still is a bit like his second mum. Gosh. So um, that was very unusual. I mean, yeah.
2: So 11 year age gap is, that is a big, a big chunk. But in a way, so lovely that you then get to experience that again, sort of 10 years later.
0: Absolutely extraordinary. And I I went back to the NCT thinking, "I I bet everything's changed. I better, you know learn how to give birth again and I found I had more children than everyone else in the room put together including the teacher and they used to always (laughs) ring me up I mean thank god mobile phones what a difference you know the whatsapp group Alison what do I do about x y and z and my answer would always be I have no idea but it's only a phase I mean it's all just a phase you know it's all just a phase it's all grim you're in the middle of it the teething the bed wetting whatever it happens to be You've no idea how you get through it, but it's just a phase and it passes. And luckily, then none of them are bedwetting and things now. <laughs> That's good to hear. So, well,
2: what age does it get better?
0: Oh my god! I've heard. Well, I've, I've always... heard seven
2: is a pinnacle. Once they, hear well, I've heard twenty-five.
0: I think... <laughs> <laughs> well, I always think two and a half is quite a breakthrough because two and a half, mm. on the whole, you've got less clover, haven't you? You're out of. I don't know whether how old yours are. That you're at Oh, your... okay.
2: So, so we've hit that
0: good stage, Elsie. Well, just I so think we... <laughs> two and a half helps. I think you you don't have to carry the whole world in the back of your car.
1: Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, I agree. And then,
0: um, yeah, seven or eight, you can start. You can you can explain. I mean, when they become, when you can chat to them and you can explain what's happening to them at the end of the day and where you're going to be and things. I mean, that just gets easier, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. So I don't know. We've still got one more, two more terms of school fees. I expect it'll get easier after that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet that was a shock.
0: (laughs) Finally, always there. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. A new
1: eighteen-year plan.
0: (laughs) Yes. So it was. It's been really. I mean, it's been extraordinary. I was. um, So you're right. Elsie, I was, as far as I know, the first judge in, well certainly England and Wales, I don't know about Scotland, um, to have a baby, I, or the first female judge, I expect these men carried on having, you know, Victorian men probably carried on having babies into their 90s or something, but I rang up the what was then the Department for Constitutional Affairs and I said, look, this is really embarrassing, I'm a judge and I'm pregnant. Uh, and they said oh judge that's fantastic and I know was a maternity policy this lady said because I wrote it but no one's ever used it let me go and blow the dust off it and it and it gave I got six months unpaid and then six months I could take uh, six months paid and then six months if I wanted to unpaid and then I and then by that time they'd caught up and they had an official part-time working policy so I could go back part-time so I've done 60, 70, 80, 90, 100%. I've done all sorts of variations in between um, as as the need arises. So miles easier, just miles easier um, this time round. Partly because I'm strictly speaking, judges aren't employed. Uh, you accountants out there will know that the your off we're office holders, not employees, but I have got a sort of there's a structure, there's a, you know, there's a there's there's I'm part of a bigger team. I'm in one place. I've got I can work set days, so miles easier in that regard. So it's been a different, different experience, and so much easier with the internet and mobile phones. You're much, much less lonely.
1: Have you seen a change in the the judiciary and the sort of makeup of the judiciary since you you know, originally did that training where you were the only one? Are there a lot more female judges now? Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, the, it's it's
0: still a bit of a pyramid. Um, there are now, at district judge level, uh, certainly at equal men and women, and at tribunal judge level, circuit judges, mm, probably equal. Um, all the Crown Court judges are circuit judges, so probably about equal. High court, maybe a quarter of women, Court of Appeal, mm, an eighth, but glass ceiling shattering all the time. Uh, sue carr has just been appointed our first lady chief justice she was in chambers with me and that's a i mean a glass ceiling shattered by one woman even though she's behind me i'm just so you know it's you're still celebrating all those amazing achievements uh so it's wonderful our first our first lady chief justice we've had as i say brenda hale in the supreme court um up until earlier this year there were more you had more chance of being in the Supreme Court if you were called David than if you were a woman Um there were three Davids I think and one woman but I think we've now just I think a second woman uh, has just Lady just as similar has just been appointed so we're on to two women um, yeah and I as I, I again I used to be the only woman in the room but um, but then actually more and more women started to realize that being especially being a district judge and working locally and everything was great and We had quite a reputation around the edge of London, the sort of donut of London, you had a lot of women being district judges sorting out women's money on divorce and we had a bit of a reputation. It's no good a woman coming to us saying oh well I can't work anymore I'm divorced because we'd all be saying well actually do you know you can. I mean I pitied the poor mother who said I've got I've got two children I need to take them to swimming lessons how can I work because she's got pretty short shrift from me. (laughs) So um (laughs) But, you know, women judges, it, it has an impact on society, doesn't it? It's not because you're in front of a woman judge. It's because the male judges mix with the women judges. Attitudes change. Thinking about how you separate your money on divorce, it used to be that you, the women, woman would only get what she needed. Um, even if you'd built up this whole pile of money together, the woman would be given what she needed. And now, thank God, women are given well the sort of starting point usually is a is 50 percent not always that's not legal advice folks but it's a very different world we live in now uh so far more women judges um and then when was it actually it was just before Charlie was born in about 2003 uh Brenda Hale and others started the United Kingdom Association of Women Judges because there's an international association of women judges and um that was great to meet other women and to chat about things that you have in common when when there were so few of us and that's still going strong and that's really that's a, that's good way of meeting people and being and mutual support it sounds like
2: um it's getting better still not yes. 100% there but it's certainly getting better um I mean, if you look at, for example, the FTSE 100, I think uh, there's eight CEOs are women. Um, So we're very much behind in in that in that area. But it sounds like perhaps because of that locality point that you said, i.e. actually being local to where you live, um, being able to work kind of two or three days a week, um, having time off in the school holidays. It sounds like quite a good career and a supportive Mm. career for children.
0: Mm. Mm, absolutely. I think that, um, I think it's very hard. I think the bar is still very hard. And I think life as a solicitor is very hard. Yes, as Alzi said, three of the children, well, Charlie hasn't yet made up his mind, but three of the kids are solicitors, and it's bloody tough. Um, I would like to see more workplaces adapt to what what women can do, rather than women still having to fit into a very sort of male-oriented workplace. Um, but I don't know what you' i mean you know I, i'm I'm sure you two could tell me great stories and terrible stories about what what you have to sort of do, but it is still um it's still very tough, isn't it? and um uh, yeah i had I bumped into a German judge on holiday and he was very senior, and he told me with absolute horror about one of his colleagues in the german. I can't, I don't know, it was a very specialist court. after day four of a very difficult case saying she had to go home and see her children. And he was horrified. And I said, but of course she had to see her children. Why shouldn't she? Oh, you know, this isn't how it's done. And I said, well, change the way it's done. Meet remotely. Why couldn't you do it remotely? Well, it's never been done like that. Well, bloody make it make the system fit round the workforce rather than the workforce having to fit into the system. Um, good good for you good
2: for you i think that's i think that's really important i actually my experience um particularly in the legal industry is that uh europe is quite far behind
0: right that's interesting
2: yeah um and they and things like working from home etc is just not as flexible as
0: the uk right well yes we've got cousins in switzerland their children used to come home at lunchtime i mean how do you do that
2: yeah um Crazy. yeah it's a real it's a real challenge um mm. but I think the only thing we can do I guess is as you say call it out provide mm. options you know challenge the thinking it isn't yeah. the case that we absolutely need to be <laughs> around present um physically you know it is exactly. of course possible to do it remotely and the yeah. technology we've got we've got to embrace otherwise we're going yeah, to particularly good senior women
0: yeah Absolutely. And you've also got, you've got to have a contented and happy workforce. And then you've got, if you have a woman who is able to work a little bit more flexibly, flexibly and around school holidays and things, she's going to stay with you, isn't she? She's going to stay in that job because she values it. She values that, that, that ability to work a little bit more flexibly. So um, yeah, getting there, getting there, not there yet.
2: Would you say in your, in your experience, would you say that flexibility is kind of the key or, or one of the key factors in helping women particularly to progress in the workplace and take on more senior
0: positions that's a re- that's really tricky because i haven't got a sort of a knowledge of lots and lots of different industries but what what i do think you've got to recognize is that if a woman is having children if she's in those years of both you know just about giving birth and those first few years she is bound to be less able to focus on work but you shouldn't give up on her you should support her in those years be flexible allow allow her to have a career break allow her to have yeah the flexible working whatever sort of works for her because there are plenty of years after children. and I wish somebody had said that to me. I wish somebody had said to me, look, stop stressing about your career when I'd sort of given up the bar and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I thought I might never work again. And I don't think I was very happy because I, was, I just didn't know, I knew I didn't want to just be at home with the kids, love them though I did. I just, that wasn't fulfilling enough. And I wish someone had said to me, just relax because there is always room for a you know good, hardworking, intelligent woman. Um, people, employers will always want you. There will be a place for you. So just just be with your kids, enjoy being with your kids because it's pretty precious. Slow down and go at their pace, make some really good friends. If you can work part-time and keep your, your foot in the door, it sort of keeps your sanity and you're keeping those connections. Um, at work but but then there's plenty of years when you can go back there's loads of years still to work plenty of, 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 of years ahead of you god knows how old you'll have to be before you can get your pensions um you know there's there's years and years of it and i now look back and i look at my poor husband who sort of you know from 25 or something it was just completely work 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 and i've been lucky because i've had these Sort of little little breaks and and islands of of doing something different. And I think that's I think that's fantastic. I'm very lucky to have had that. Um, so, yeah, you were asking about my message, just in, just be fun and be fun and have fun with your children. I mean, children look back when you look back on your childhood, you remember them, your mum or dad being fun. You don't remember them being stressy or being perfect or whatever. You just remember it when you could have fun with them. And that's what I that's what I would like to say. Just have fun with your kids, because mine are now. You know, Charlie's um, nearly eighteen, and James is in his thirties, and I've got a couple of lovely granddaughters and things.
2: Oh wow, you're a granny already!
0: Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> amazing. And how do your children feel about you having always worked?
0: Very interesting. So I've asked Charlie, who's here. Um, What's it like having a working mum? And he said, Well, it makes you stand on your own two feet. And I think that is absolutely true. And I asked my daughter, she knew I was doing this podcast, and I asked B, who, who Alzi knows. Um, and B said, <laughs> I said, what was it like having a working mum? And she said, Well, no cupcakes on sports day. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know anyone else with a more aspirational parent to look to when they start out in their own career. And I said, oh, my goodness, that's going to make me cry. So that's very sweet. Oh, I know. That that's makes very me sweet. cry. <laughs> I know. That that was lovely because we're not a very sort of, sort of, we're not a family that says slushy things, are we, Elsie? So no. <laughs> that, was, that nearly made me cry. Yeah, that makes me well up as well. That's so lovely. Yeah, so that was lovely. The idea that I've inspired, certainly B, um, and I think actually the boys are very, you know, of course their wives are going to be working, that there isn't, there isn't sort of, that's what you do. I mean, I definitely, definitely made the kids more independent. They were all at school about half an hour from home. You forget your games bag, you haven't got your games kit. You know, it's no good telling me in the car um, that, that you were meant to bring in your book or something from show and tell. If it was from show and tell, we had to see what was in the boot. So, uh, and I have done that terrible thing when the kids have said, oh God, mum, it's, you know, dress up as whatever, bloody World Book Day or something. Um, or musty day. <laughs> oh, and I have had to, I have had to rush, thank, you know, when Woolworths was still going, I had to rush into Woolies to try and find something that that, that they could be because they didn't tell me. And they just got used to the fact that, they didn't have someone watching. If you know, there were some parents who what managed to watch every bloody rugby match or every football match or whatever, and and our kids just got used to the fact that we were there on a Saturday, but we weren't there during the week. Um, B B tells lovely stories about how in the in, I think she was in the lower sixth, and she was on the phone fixing a haircut, um, and she got off the phone and she found all her friends around her, and they said, "You fix your own haircuts," and she said, "Yeah," and they said oh, our mum does that for us. And B said, well, I'd have hair down to the floor if I waited for my mum to do that for me. (laughs) She she comes along and she pays, but of course I fix it, you know. So it definitely makes your kids more independent. And I think that's, personally, I think that's a great thing. I don't have any regrets about that.
2: Well, it sounds like you're a bit of an inspiration to them um, in their working (laughs) life,
0: particularly as they've, most of them have gone on to be lawyers, it sounds like. Well, yeah, lack of imagination,
1: I'm afraid. (laughs) <laughs> it's a good career path. <laughs> it's been so brilliant talking to you and I've really loved it. We always ask our guests what their biggest high and biggest low has been of their sort of experience of being a mum and also working. Um, so if you have any highs and lows that spring to mind, we'd love to hear them.
0: Okay. Well, um, I think the I think the worst. Apart from the day-to-day angst about what the earth, uh, you, know, you just have to take each day as it comes, don't you? You all know the crisis will come and you just have to muddle through it. Uh, but I think the, the worst was when I was being threatened by a uh, uh, horrible bloke who, um, for very complicated reasons, I'd had to say that he couldn't see his children. And he started harassing and threatening me online and the children. I mean, in fact, he never, he never, thank God, did anything. But the threats online were really, really aggressive. And he found out where Charlie was at school. He found out that about our holiday home in Scotland. And he was making threats against the children. He said he'd been on the tube with our daughter and everything. And so having to sort of say to the kids, um, look, you just need to watch your back a bit. And the other thing was that he seemed to get We've got nieces who live in Surrey who've got the same surname, and he got us muddled. I think he thought that they were my kids, and I had to tell my nieces that you should always make sure the police have said, always make sure you have your phone charged, keep your, you know, don't be in dark places at night, sort of on your own, that sort of thing. That was horrid because it's one thing my job being having people threaten me, but to, when it affects your kids, it's not nice at all. So that was a low. Um, the highs, I don't know. I just, um, the highs, at, the highs at work are just when you don't get any feedback as a judge. It's a very, very odd. I've never had an appraisal. Imagine that you don't get any feedback. Nobody tells you if you're any good. Um, and occasionally, I've had people, I've had kids whose lives I've made decisions. You know, I've, I've made decisions for them, and and you get, you sometimes get to hear about how they're doing later on, and that's absolutely lovely. And as far as on a personal level, just just the fact that the kids are lovely, I'm still speaking to them, they're still speaking to me, they're happy. Actually, that's the most important thing. The career is nothing compared to the fact that you've got lovely kids who are doing well and who are happy. And that's what you've got to focus on. The other bit of advice I would say is don't be a hover parent. Be a submarine parent. Only turn up at school if you're called. I just can't bear the... Those WhatsApp groups and those poor teachers—just let them get on with it. They, that's what they're paid to do.
2: Be a submarine parent. I love it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> just, just surface when you have to, and be the parent who just brings the crisps and the and the chocolate biscuits. You know, don't try and make the cakes and the beautiful fairy outfits. It doesn't matter. Let the, let other people do all that. Just, just let it go. It doesn't matter. Doesn't make the slightest bit of difference when they're applying to university that they were the one in the best fancy dress outfit.
1: Yeah, a bit of sanity—that's the key, isn't That's it?
0: So yeah,
1: sweat, 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 don't sweat the small stuff.
0: Very definitely.
1: That's been amazing. I've absolutely loved speaking to you. I obviously knew some of the parts of your career, but actually to go into it in more detail has been really, really fun. Um, and I think you've provided some excellent advice to all of us.
0: Thank you. Well, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear sometime about your experiences, but we'll do that
1: another time. We'll do that over a glass of wine, maybe. <laughs> or two. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our new Women Who Work podcast. Please help us to grow our listenership by subscribing, reviewing and commenting. And please do share with any friends or colleagues who you think may find this useful. Also join us on LinkedIn or sign up to the mailing list on our website www.womanwhowork.uk to ensure that you never miss any of our content. If you'd like to be involved with Women Who Work or have any ideas for us, And please do get in touch on email at hello at uk. Thanks again.